Hi, I'm Terry Zabolski, pastor of Grace Community Church in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. I'd like to thank you for listening to this week's message. I hope and trust that God's Word is a blessing to you as you live for Him each and every day. Look at Luke's Gospel, chapter 4. We're going to finish chapter 4 today in our exposition of Dr. Luke's Gospel account. And I've entitled uh, the message today, The Authority of Jesus. The Authority of Jesus. You know, you can, uh, you can have power without authority. You know that? You can have power without authority. Uh, a gang of... Uh, uh, of teens can have weapons and sticks and clubs, and they do a lot of damage with the power at the, at, at at hand. Right? They can do a lot of damage. Uh, might I say they have no authority to do that? None. None. You can have a you can have great power to cause damage or to cause pain or to inflict. Uh, uh, whatever, without the authority. On the other hand, you can have authority without power. You know that? You can have authority. There are two different concepts. Authority is the right to exercise power. But you can have the right, but not have the means to exercise any oomph. Uh, you know, you know I, I often wonder about that with Great Britain. Did you know in Great Britain, I mean, it's like it's a theology run amok. You know, like it's a, it's a willful ignorance of the depravity of men and women. You know their policemen don't carry any si- sidearms? They give them whistles. Can you imagine that? You know, somebody stealing a bank, you know, robbing a bank, they whistle and they got little, you know, like, you've got to be kidding you see, they have the authority, but they don't have the power to enforce it. In some areas of our country, I'm sad to say, the criminals have uh, automatic weapons. And they can do great power, great damage, and, and hurt a lot of people. And in some crazy municipalities, they underarm the authorities of the police. Oh, no, you have a single shooter, you get, you get a thirty-eight. You know, when you, you know, they ought, to, they ought to look like Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, with like bazookas being able to rightfully enforce the law and not a little pea shooter when, uh, when others have that. We saw that recently, didn't we, in Pittsburgh? Terrible thing with those police officers who were, were gunned down with, by automatic weaponry in a house. How horrible that was. Horrible. Similar things in San Francisco in not too many days. There's a difference between power and authority. You can have authority without power. You can have power without authority. And in the Greek, there are two different words. Exousia, all authority on heaven and earth has been given me, Jesus said. Exousia, that's the right to exercise. But he also has the dynamos, dynamite, we get the word. He has the power to actually do something and to make an effect. Well, the authority of Jesus. Different, look on your sheet, different people express authority, don't they, in different ways? An army general gives orders. He gives orders, and he expects that it'll be carried out. That's his authority. The whole structure of the military is that way, right? Uh, a teacher, what? They, they, they give grades. Or if you're, you're, you're bad, it's down to the in my day, it was the vice principal's office. Mr. Shepherd wants to see you. When? Now. Out. You know, and so a teacher expresses authority by trying to maintain classroom control so you can actually teach something. Uh, either that or grades. My father was like that. Sometimes we got helicopter parents, you know, that are always badgering kids, study, study, read, read. My dad didn't believe in any of that. But every nine weeks... Sit down at the table. Let's see the report. Whoa. I knew that was coming. Nine weeks. One at a time. It was like an appointment he had with all seven of his kids. 
And, uh, <clears throat> and then there were changes in life structure that took place usually after that. <laughs> all kinds of commitments made and all this kind of stuff. He had the authority and he had the power. Uh, a traffic cop blows a whistle, direct threat, gives out tickets. He, he, uh, he expresses his authority that way. Oh, officer, please give me a warning. I can't afford $200. Those tickets are expensive anymore. Anybody get one recently? Wow. IRS agent, right? Audits, right, Greg? They audit, and they say, uh, you've been found wanting. Penalty and interest, right? We'll take your firstborn, that kind of thing. Well, these are some of the ways that people uh, express uh, their God-given authority in the day in which we live. And that's uh, Riken. Dr. Riken puts that so well. Well, how did Jesus, you might ask, well, how did Jesus express his authority? How did he do it? Was it the sheer force of his wonderful personality? No. Dr. Luke is going to tell us that Jesus expressed his authority merely through the spoken word. He said it, and it was done. That's amazing. I've asked people to do a lot of things, and have you ever noticed that? You say to your son, that grass will be cut on Friday afternoon. I've come home many Friday afternoons, and for a lot of really good reasons, I guess, never happened, right? That never happened to you, I know. But uh, Jesus spoke the word. And it was instantaneously done. What power he possessed. He had not only had the authority to do whatever he desired, he also had the power to make it happen, to bring it about. Wow. The power and the authority of God. Wow. Well, Dr. Luke, in writing uh, his Gospel of Certainty, remember this is the Gospel of Certainty, he writes in chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, he's writing to Theophilus, God love, maybe a governor, and he's writing that you may know for sure. It's, that's why it's often called the gospel of certainty. He's writing to the Gentiles, not to the Jews. He's a medical doctor um, and uh, traveled with Paul. He's writing this gospel of certain, certainty, desiring each one of us as his readers to know of the authority and the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he does possess this power even at the get-go of his ministry. It was not a building thing, you know. Some of the liberal, unbelieving Bible, so-called scholars, you know, say, well, Jesus kind of grew into this messianic uh, person and kind of, oh, hey, it's fitting together like a puzzle, and he kind of grew, no way. He, he knew he, who he was, and who he was was at the get-go, and at the very beginning, he has the power of God among men. And Luke wants us to know that in introducing us to Jesus in this very early days of his public ministry. Well, there are in our account this morning, uh, chapter 4, verses 31 to the end of the chapter, uh, three different kinds of authority uh, expressed by Jesus, uh, revealing to us the power of his spoken word. For his words, I remind you, are not the mere words of man, but they are the very words of God. And I remind you that uh, going back to Genesis chapter 1, how about that in the creation account? And God said, let there be light. And the light didn't say, mm, uh, not now. There was light. And God said, and God said, and God said, and it happened. It's amazing. God said. And Jesus exhibits that same expression. When he speaks, it happens. Words may not seem powerful, especially when politicians speak them. Have you ever noticed that? Oh, on and 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 on. And you wonder, what is all this? I remind you, but when they come from God, you know, the power to create, the power to transform your life and mine. It's happened to me, and it's happened to many of you. It is the very Word of God. Well, three different kinds of authority expressed here. 
<clears throat> Jesus, I remind you, was first and foremost a preacher. Let's read the account. Pick it up in 4, verse 31 to the end. Remember, he left Nazareth. Uh, they didn't want him there. They tried to kill him. Okay, from there, verse 31. Then, then he, that is Jesus, went down to Capernaum. It was a town in Galilee, and on the Sabbath began to teach the people. And they were amazed at his teaching, because his message had authority. And in the synagogue there was a man possessed by a demon, an evil spirit. And he cried out at the top of his voice, Ha! What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. Then the demon threw the man down before them all and came out without injuring him. And all the people were amazed. And they said to each other, What is this teaching? With authority and power he gives orders to evil spirits, and they come out. And the news about him spread throughout the surrounding area. Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon, that's Peter. And now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over her, and he rebuked the fever, and it left her. And she got up at once and began to wait on them. And when the sun was setting, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness, and laying hands on each one, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people, shouting, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, because they knew he was the Christ. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place, and the people were looking for him. When they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving. But he said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Well, may God bless the reading of this wonderful word there in this uh, little narrative account, three different kinds of authority, or another way of saying three different ways in which the authority and the power of Jesus is expressed at the very get-go of his public ministry. In verses 31 and 32, we see the first that Jesus taught. He preached. He taught, with the word, he taught the Word with the authority, the authority of God. He was the living Word, and, he, and taught the written Word as God, because that's who he was. And so after leaving Nazareth, Jesus went to Capernaum. Capernaum, the... Uh, uh, Nahum, it's a, we think it's the village of Nahum, the prophet. That's what it means, and probably named after that. Uh, beautiful town. He visited uh, the synagogue for public worship on the Sabbath. While there, he taught the meaning of Scripture. In doing so, he preached the gospel to him. That was his purpose. Now, here he is again. We saw that last time uh, in Nazareth. Uh, he, uh, he's in the synagogue. And last time we saw, as was his custom, it was the custom of the Lord Jesus to gather with God's people for public worship. Now he is in Capernaum, probably the very next uh, Saturday on the Sabbath, and uh, he gathers uh, for God's people for worship. It's a reminder to us in a day of uh, lack of commitment, undisciplined lives, you know, uh, eeny, meeny, miny, mo. will I go today or no? You know, that kind of stuff. Crazy. If you know Christ, it ought to be your purpose at, at a minimum. to Gather with God's people to sing, to pray. Most importantly, to hear the Word of God exposited and taught uh, every single week at a minimum. At the very least, it was Jesus' example. And he gathers there. He gathers uh, for public worship there in the beautiful little fishing village of Capernaum on the Sea of Galilee. 
beautiful. I uh, have had the joy of seeing it five or six times. And uh, I wish I could just uh, take a fast, uh, 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 beam me up, Scotty, and blast us all there, and you could see how beautiful this little village is on the north side of the Sea of Galilee. It is so beautiful. 600 feet below sea level. The, the, the hillside goes right up. It's like a bowl with the, 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 the Galilean hillsides going up and the Golan Heights way over on the other side. And, and, and there in this quite a prosperous uh, fishing village in that time, uh, you could uh, even go where the archaeologists have uh, uncovered the synagogue. And the foundation zones are first century. And you're actually sitting in the vicinity, if not in the very place, of uh, this setting. Uh, extremely thrilling for, for me. I, uh, I can't tell you. I could have just spent days and weeks there. And, and then over on the, the little bowl near, uh, near this area, we believe that's where the Sermon on the Mount, he taught that. And, and uh, it just it takes me right back. Some of you have gone with us, and maybe in the future we'll go again. And, and see this beautiful place there in Galilee called Capernaum. And this is where Peter lived and worked. Now, it wasn't where he was born. He was born in Bethsaida, the Scripture says, but he lived there. And, and there's, in fact, a, uh, a Catholic church built over what uh, they say are the ruins of Peter's house, a large house, and they believe he accommodated early believers in his home there. And... Uh, and that's evidently where Jesus uh, was staying at this point, although the Scripture doesn't tell us. Well, so he's teaching. The people's reaction to him as the scrolls are unrolled, we saw that last week, he read the Scriptures, they folded them up, rolled them, put them away, and then he sat and taught. And they were utterly, utterly amazed at his teaching. They had never, ever heard anybody teach like the Lord Jesus. You know, teaching is a sacred profession. God is the great teacher. Did you know that? David's a public school teacher in Carlisle's school district, and maybe some of you are. Uh, You're all teachers to some degree or another. If you have children or grandchildren, uh, you're a teacher. You're, You're a teacher. Dads, you're to teach your family. Actually, if I'm doing my job right, man, I'm equipping you to be uh, under shepherds and pastors in your home. You know that? You're to be that way. You're to know the Scriptures and be able to direct your family towards it. Uh, teaching. Teaching is, uh, is, is a glorious enterprise. It's wrong to say that little adage, those who do, do, and those who can't teach. Sometimes you'll hear that. <clears throat> Sometimes it seems true, but uh, it's not. It's a sacred profession. Uh, it's uh, the teaching and the public preaching of Scripture is holy, and Jesus made it holy by the stated fact, that's why I was sent, the very last verses of this chapter, to teach and to preach, and and so on. And and what an amazing teacher he was. You see, B, he taught the people with a resident authority. We see this in other places. Keep your finger in Luke. But look at the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. I'll show you what I mean. Remember that when we looked at that some time ago, the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 5, several times here, in this, the greatest sermon ever taught, at least recorded in our Bible. Matthew 5, verse 21 and 22, Jesus is trying to teach on the real meaning of the law. In Matthew 5, 21, 22, you have heard, Jesus speaking, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder. Anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But here, now look what he says, verse 22. But I say to you. Now, nobody ever dared say, speak like that. No rabbi ever taught like that. No one ever had that resident authority that the Son of God, he who is the very author of Scripture, possessed in his own being. But I say unto you, look what he says, he was angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, you moron, sometimes I hear people say that, that's the word there, you fool, you moron, will be in danger of hell fire. It's the same sin, he's saying. 
And look at verse 27 of the same text. You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery, but I say to you, I tell you, if anyone looks at a woman lustfully, has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And on and on. He's, again, verse 31, the same thing, and verse 33. Anyway, suffice to say, Jesus taught with a resident authority. He was God, and so what he said was, in fact, the mighty, wonderful Word of God in all its authority. Wow. Isn't that something? Well, you should know the common method of teaching uh, of that day, you say, well, what was the difference? Was the rabbis would read the Scripture, then they fold up, put it away, then they'd sit down, and then they would begin this long treatise of nothing but footnotes. This rabbi said on this passage, that rabbi said on that, and it was just, have you ever read a formal paper? You know, unless you're keenly excited about the subject, it's sure to produce insomnia. You'd be falling off to sleep. It's boring. It's boring. Um, There was a great speaker that came in Uh, When I graduated from one of the seminaries in Philadelphia, he was a great preacher. I won't tell you who he was. I was so excited to have him come. And when he came in there uh, for commencement, my commencement, uh, I don't don't know why, but he sort of gave his commencement address was... uh, was nothing more than stringing together a bunch of, of footnotes and quotes. It, it was good, but it was, you know, I was, I'd heard him preach, and I, I was hoping he'd just cut loose and let it go. Man, he was so restrained. And, uh, and then the, the one who, John Skillian, the aged professor who died a couple years after that, who had been professor at Westminster for years and years, gave the benediction, and I was so thankful. He had us all stand, and he exhorted all of us. And he, he closed with First uh, Corinthians 15, 58, Therefore, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And he went on to quote that. And I thought, there it is. I got it. <laughs> he preached. He gave it to us. No footnotes. Didn't need any. Well, that's the way the rabbis, they, they had no authority, and that's the way they were trained. You just quote one after the other. This rabbi said that. Shemiel said this. And they're like, oh, man, deliver us from this. And they didn't have wristwatches, but if they did, they were constantly looking at him wait for that to get over so they could eat or something, you know. And here the Lord, he opens, he says, oh, let me tell you what this means. And this is what it means. Now you heard, and this is you're like, whoa, this is great. We haven't heard this kind of preaching and teaching ever. Thank you, Lord. You give me an idea. The other one was quite boring to listen to. That's the blank. I forgot to say that. How refreshing it must have been to hear the Scriptures taught this way. The greatest teacher who has ever walked the earth, Jesus, someday. Get this, someday he's going to teach us. Yeah, well, won't that be great? You're the great, greatest teacher of all, the uh, greatest professor of all, and it's not Aristotle or it's not any of, none of these, not Socrates. Sometimes they're carried about. It's none of these. It's the Lord Jesus And uh, you won't skip those lectures. You won't, I promise you. What authority, what a God. I remember that. I used to do that. You you get the syllabus on the first day, and and you find out how many cuts do we get. You know, it's always a sad thing when students want to know how many times they can legally cut without their grades dropping, right? And... uh, (laughs) But then uh, I used to do that too, so... But... uh, uh, what, a, what a great thing. And I, you know, I, I think about that, uh, teaching, the teaching profession. And Faith and I have uh, given birth to, a, to, a, to our daughter. She is a gifted, godly teacher, uh, excellent teacher. She amazes me, really. Um, I've had the benefit of having some of the very best teachers in our, in our day in this part of the world. I'm, 
I have. I have sat at the feet of, it's almost a who's who. I've received a great trust. And I think about that uh, most every day and, and weekly anyway and, and want to discharge uh, the trust that I have received and, and through the Spirit of God, the Word of God, in men, teachers that have taught me the Word that I might teach others. You know, that Second Timothy 2.2, faithful men, train them up. Uh, today's our day to run. Someday it will be over for me. And uh, you'll need to carry on. Grow up in the things of Christ and be able to discharge these things in small group, one-on-one, and in larger settings. Teaching it straight on, the Word of God. And there'll be a lot of, a lot of temptation. People will want to lead you this way and that way. Don't hear any of it. Uh, stay with the stuff. Wow. Jesus speaks, and they're absolutely amazed. Wouldn't be something to hear his voice. Wow. Well, Jesus' first priority was to teach and to preach the Word. Today, you should know, many desire to turn the church into something other than what God has called it to be. I've been amazed through these years how many people call me. They, uh, they must think you're just wonderful. They all want to come as a venue and speak to you. They do about all sorts of things. Some of them good things. But I have, uh, I have to tell them, no, we have something far more important. What's that? We want to hear God's Word, uh, His voice through the Word. You're welcome to come, but no, we're not having a political rally here. Sorry about that. I know it seems to be an easy thing. You get a crowd of people. And it's not an entertainment venue. You know, we're not here to entertain you. I'm sorry about that. And you come out of an entertainment-saturated day. You know, what's in it for me? Who's got the best program? I'll go to this church or that church today. Wow. May your tribe increase. May you commit. Say, I'm here. I'm here to hear the word, not to see the latest circus. I used to have a good professor. Some of you heard Dr. Thomas, Tommy Thomas, the Welshman, taught me all kinds of wonderful things. Uh, He would say, men, be very careful what you draw people to your church with. Because you have to do that and more to keep them. So if you draw them f- swallowing fish and, and running all sorts of circus, you better keep ratcheting up the program because they want more and more and more. Make it the Word of God, and God will bring His own, and He'll save some and train them up, and they'll reproduce in missions and ministry as they leave. Keep the focus. It's not a social project. It's not an entertainment venue. It's not a political arena. Uh, Anything and everything uh, is attempted to change the church gathering from what it was intended to be. But what is it intended to be? You and I, we are a community that are gathered to hear the Word of God. The Puritans knew that. They didn't fool around. They got in. They had prayer. They sang a couple of psalms. And then he went at it. Sometimes those Puritan preachers go for an hour and a half, two hours. We're like wimps by comparison, right? They keep going. Then when we're done, they want more. They hang around. Hear the Word of God. For Here's the thing. Once we hear God's Word, it has an impact on everything else. Everything. Everything. Your marriage, your children, your work, your neighbors, Everything that comes along in life, it impacts it. It changes it. It changes the way we live. And God does this through the preaching and through the teaching of his word. Jesus speaks the authority and the power, and they're like dumbfounded. Their jaws hang open. Wow. Well, that wasn't the only thing. We see in verses 33 through 37 and 41 and following, we see a second kind of authority or venue in which Jesus' authority is clearly demonstrated here in Capernaum. For Jesus cast out demons by speaking a word. What authority. Look at 33 of our text. And in the synagogue, there was a man possessed by a demon, an evil spirit. And he's screaming or crying out at the top of his voice. Must have been eerie, the shrieky sound of a of a, of a demonized man there, and he's in the synagogue. Did you notice that? Wow, 
among God's people. Uh, well, this, you should know, this casting out, this exercising of this demon is the very first miracle that Dr. Luke records in this gospel. Luke wants us to know that Jesus has authority over Satan's evil spirits. He defeated Satan at the temptation. It wasn't the end of the temptation. Satan came back later, of course. But now Jesus would defeat Satan's underlings. They were no match for their creator, none. None. Well, what is the spirit of an unclean demon? Some of your translations put it that way. What is this demon? What is this unclean spirit? Well, as you know, uh, in our day of naturalism, anti-spiritualism, anti-anything metaphysical, we live in a materialistic day. It's not always been this way, and it's not every culture that is blinded by this like uh, the Western culture is, that stuff and things are the only thing that are. But in our day, not surprisingly, there are many that absolutely deny uh, the existence of demons. And they read this account, they go like, well, you know, it, uh, Luke is writing with a primitive mindset and, and, uh, and so on. He is just saying, well, what's going on here is totally and utterly psychological. That's all it was. That's all it was. I remind you that that's not what, what, what it was. And uh, Dr. Luke uh, knew better. This physician knew that this man and these others, he's going to write in a few verses later, was not suffering from some sort of uh, manic depression or delusional or depression. We love the big labels in our day, you know, and people like to be labeled, uh, but uh, that's not what's going on here. It's far, far deeper, far more insidious than... Uh, than these mere titles of psychological psychobabble, a lot of, not to say that people don't have that today and, and are not demon-possessed, but that's not what's happening here. Uh, what's happening is, is this man was under personal domination of a fallen angel. That's what a demon is. When Satan fell, Isaiah 14, probably Ezekiel 28, are the two Old Testament accounts that allude to it, Satan fell. He desired to be like God, and he fell. He's the opposer, the adversary of God. Just Jesus defeated him at the cross. Hell was designed for him. When Satan fell, he took one-third of the stars or the angels with him. The, uh, the insidious rebellion of the heavens. And these fallen angels, these spirit beings, are those that we call uh, demons, and they're the ones that do his bidding. Now, there's a finite number of them. We'll talk about that in a moment. They're not billions and billions of them um, uh, as, uh, as far as we know. Uh, the Bible doesn't say, but uh, it doesn't appear to be the case. And so this man is suffering from the domination uh, of personal domination of a personal being, a fallen angel called a demon. A demon possession was, you should know, particularly frequent during Jesus's earthly visit when he was on earth and then doing his great public ministry. It seems to be almost a climax, a titanic battle of the spiritual world that was going on. And I think if you think about it that way, you're probably right in that because uh, uh, Satan does not know the future, but he knows the Scriptures. We saw a few weeks ago he quoted them even to Jesus. He knows his time is short, and he knows his doom is certain. And so if he can disqualify, he and his, his, uh, his comrades, the, the demons, can disqualify Jesus as being the second Adam. Uh, he could disqualify him. He could not be the Savior of the world in this great spiritual battle. And that's what he's up to at this point. And so the demons here, this demon, recoils in fear at the very presence of Jesus. Well, let's jump ahead here. The question, I know that many are wondering, are people today still possessed? Are they capable of being demon, demonized? It is a participle, the demonized or demon-possessed as we think about it. 
And the answer, of course, is uh, yes, it, it is possible, and it, and, and it certainly does happen. We're in a spiritual battle. There are forces that are against us. It has to be that way. I have on your sheet, read uh, Ephesians 6, 12 and following. That makes utterly no sense, no sense at all uh, if, it, if it could not happen. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual wickedness and powers in high places. That's what he's referring to uh, in, in all of that. So certainly, certainly so. Can a Christian can be possessed? I would say no. My, my conviction on that is if you know Christ the Lord as Savior, one of the wonderful things that happens is, is that the Spirit of God takes residence in your body. Now, you don't feel it. You don't get all tingly. Ooh, 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 ooh. None of that. No, no. Uh, it, you don't feel it, but the Spirit of the Bible tells us your body is the dwelling place of God. Okay? He dwells within you. Well, the Spirit of God, God verily, and the presence of evil cannot dwell in the same person. So I think it's logical to say that uh, not so. Can a believer be um, influenced by evil? Absolutely. Absolutely. Remember what Jesus said to Peter when he said, oh, you shouldn't go to the cross. You're talking about dying? No way. You're going to be king. I'm going to be right with you. That's what Peter was thinking. What did Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. See, he heard in Peter's words Satan's voice, the crown without the cross. Again, it was that same temptation, exactly the same. And Christians can expose themselves to all kinds of evil. Be very careful about it. Be very careful about it. In our day, uh, my mother would say we're never, it was popular to get these Ouija boards things, you know. You know, we just put your fingers on it, I guess, and you just kind of, and determine, like, don't be playing around. That's nothing to play with. Astrology, don't play with any of that nonsense. It's all goofed up and evil anyway. You know, I'm, I'm a Virgo, I'm a Cancer. That's crazy. The whole, the whole star thing has shifted, you know. The thing's not even right. It's out, right out of Babylon, all that. It's evil. It's evil, that kind of thing. Don't be, don't be playing uh, seances. You know, we'll just turn the lights off and light a candle and we'll speak to it. Don't, you're exposing yourself to, to evil. Watch the garbage you watch. Turn it off. Does your remote have an off? Sometimes, I don't know that it does. Turn the thing off. I remember uh, when I was in high school, Rosemary's Baby came out. And everybody, oh, isn't that great? And... Uh, I never saw it. I'm glad I never saw it. And there's some, they're, they're evil. They're evil, wicked. Don't expose yourself. Not only that, there's a close connection, when you read in the Scriptures, between pharmacia, phar, pharmacy or drugs, illegal drugs in sorcery, illegal drugs in evil. Uh, and, and so, you know, one of the great forces, you know, we have such a problem with, with drug use in this country Right, it's everywhere. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't mean good drugs that help you feel better. Um, you, you can abuse that, but I'm talking the bad stuff. You know that. Look at that. It's, it's evil. It just ruins people. They're, they lose their minds and they're becoming slave to that. It's, it's wicked. And then, and then just the influence that of evil at high places of government and places where the gospel has almost never been heard. I mean, there are countries that are really dark. We talk about being in Qatar. It's the evil, the evilness of it. It's a satanic stronghold in some of these Muslim countries where the gospel has barely penetrated. Uh, and some places in Africa with uh, animism and places in the Caribbean. I you know, we, we're praying for Haiti, and I hope you are, and remembering the horribleness of all that down there. But Haiti is a place that I've often thought of with all the voodoo and Satanism and all of that. That, that, that is nothing to be played with or toyed with. Run from that stuff. Watch what you read and expose yourself to. You can be, you can be influenced by, by, by evil. Often today, I have on your sheet... Uh, demons work in promoting evil in structures of society. 
public schools, they can. Be careful about curriculums, exposure, government, high levels of government. Uh, the, just, just sometimes I think about different, different ones. And, and God loves all his people, not all with an electing love, but the, God loves all. But uh, there are some that are just pure reprobates that promote evil at high government levels as if there's no right and wrong. And, uh, and, and so on. Often, too, uh, I, I, as a word of, of warning, sometimes I'll hear Christians blame demons for their own sinful desire. Now, be careful of that, okay? And, and some of my friends, will, I'll hear them say, you know, like, the, the, maybe they're heavy, right? And then they'll say, well, I, I'm afflicted by the demon of gluttony. <laughs> Please, you know? Or I, I have a problem with pornography. And it's the demon of pornography that afflicts me. Please. You know, or drugs, or an- anger. I, I just, you know, I'm Irish, you know. I, we just grab people by the throat, you know. Just the way we connect, you know. It's the demon of anger. I said, oh, please. And on and on and on and on. Please, just take responsibility. It's your own sinful flesh. It's not a demon. Uh, You probably feel like you wish it was, but it isn't, so I'm sorry to tell you that. And Jesus shuts this uh, demon right up, doesn't he? He just shuts him up. Be quiet. Actually, it's very nice in the NIV, be quiet. It's stronger than that in the original language. It's more like shut up. And we teach our kids not to say that, right? But he, mm, and that's it, and mm, throw the key away, and he never said another word. Be quiet, verse 35, sternly told him. He refused to take and accept the praise of a wicked spirit. Uh, you know that? This, he wasn't there to worship Jesus. He was there to cause all kinds of commotion and to distract. And Jesus cast the demon out, and all of them sitting there are like, wow. Wow. What authority. What power. Well, demon possession, let me a couple of other notes, seems to happen more rarely today than in Jesus' day. Let me give you a couple of reasons maybe why, perhaps, because there are many, many more people in the world today, but only a certain number of demons. And maybe that's why. Or second, Maybe Satan just threw the full weight of his power against Israel because he knew the Savior would come there first. And so that's where he hid it, right at this first century time when the Lord was there. All in all, it was all part of his on, Jesus' ongoing uh, uh, war with Satan to destroy him, and he did. Well, demons. Jesus speaks. He teaches, and they're absolutely amazed. What power? Jesus speaks, and the demons are out. Wow, man. Finally, Third Avenue, Jesus heals all those who are sick with his word. Verses 39 and 40, again, what authority, what power. Look at 39, his mother-in-law. Jesus bends over her. She's laid out. You can see it. And he leans over her, and uh, he, he rebukes the fever. And it left her. She got up at once and began to wait on them. What, what can we say? Jesus heals all those who are sick with the word. Now, let me just suggest to you for a moment, for just a moment, as it were, it was as if heaven were on earth. For just a moment, it was like the curse of sin and death was reversed. Just a moment. gives us just a little taste of what heaven is going to be like. No more tears. No more pain. No more sadness. No more sickness. No more death. Here, God made flesh among his people in the early days of his ministry, exercising power and authority heals all who came. A, Jesus leaves the synagogue. He's going to eat the Sabbath meal at Peter's home. 
Similar to what we do, right? We worship. Our, our worship today is very much styled after the synagogue worship of the century. He walks several hundred feet if we got the right area in the right place and enters Peter's home. And there he, he hears that Peter's mother-in-law is sick. Now, it's, a, it's an old uh, medical term. That's one of the evidences, again, that Luke is a physician that she has, uh, and the word great fever is used to signify it was very, very serious. And Jesus goes over, he speaks, and he rebukes the fever, and she's healed. Do you notice that she's healed instantly? Instantly. Instantly. Do you notice it wasn't like 10 days later? I had that flu. I had, that, I had the excitement of having that sinus Infection twice this winter. It was so much fun, I did it again. And I, it was, uh, I couldn't shake it. It just went on and on and on and on and on. On, you know. And the Lord finally brought me through it. And providentially, through secondary means, and the cyber virus runs its cycle, we say, right? Not Peter's mother-in-law. Instantly, fever is healed. She is up on her feet. And she is serving, she is serving lunch. Jesus touches her, and she serves. You know, in a in a way, I don't want to make a lot of it and spiritualize it, but you know, it's it's a little picture, really, of what our lives ought to be. Uh, Jesus heals us, he saves us, he touches us, we say, and instantly we ought to respond by serving him. We ought to. God is, if you know Christ, God has given you a gift. And you're to use that in the ministry of the body. Uh, whether we're gathered and we need to always help here or scatter through the week, you're to use your gifts for Him, for His glory, to serve Him. It's all about Him. And she serves, and so should we. What an example. And be as the Sabbath ends, and no, notice that, it's, they're still under the fear of the Pharisees. Yeah, Luke tells us that when the Sabbath ended. They, you see, they didn't want to break the rabbi's law of trying to help carry a sick person to Peter's house while the sun was still up. So when the sun set, and that actually begins the day and night cycle in a Jew, sunset, the evening and the morn, day one, they go back to Genesis. That begins the new day. And so when the sun goes down on that Sabbath, they carry a parade of sick people, all kinds, to Peter's house. They can see him laying all over the place outside the front door, as it were. And they brought them to Jesus that he might heal them. And what an amazing text, isn't it? The text uh, in verse 39 and 40. Uh, 40, uh, let's see, let's keep going on. Oh, there, in 40, and when the sun was setting... The people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness, laying hands on each one of them, and he healed them. He healed them. Wow. He healed them all. He healed them all. And the text tells us, and I just just make note of it, that the Lord... um, uh, he laid his hand, do you notice, on each one. Eh, not much of an expression. But you know what? It shows the tenderness of the Lord. I mean, he could have said, okay, there's uh, 500 of you out there. You're healed. <laughs> Where's dessert, right? <laughs> no, that's the American way. Get it done, get it fast, right? Get it out. Get it fast, fast, fast. But the text says each one, he went to each one, and he, he probably asked their name. He held their hand. He healed them. It's, a, it's, a, it's just a little tender expression of our Lord and Savior, the shepherd who cares for his own. And do you notice it's wrong sometimes when we'll hear some of our, our friends who, uh, who know the Lord that, Maybe you're really caught up in the charismatic, the healing, you know, and sometimes cruelly they'll say, well, if you had enough faith, you don't have enough faith or you'd be healed. That's so cruel. 
So cruel. And we don't find any faith expressed anywhere here. That's not, that's, that's wrong. Uh, Jesus heals because he's up to something. In short, we'll tell you in a moment, he's trying to let everyone folks know he's, he's not the great miracle worker. He's showing who he is. He's the Christ. Hear him. Listen to his gospel. That's what he's up to here. Isn't it wonderful? Each one, no mass healing, all of them. And, and by that, I would understand those terrible words. How about that? Have you ever heard those words where you have a loved one that's in the hospital <clears throat> and the doctor uh, or, or a group of doctors come up and say to you, it's very hard for them, particularly if they don't know Christ, to say, I'm sorry. We've done everything we can possibly do. We can't do any more. Do you, know, do you ever see that? I don't see that in the text. Isn't that great? Every one of them. And they were organic issues. They weren't like, I got a little, this hurts here a little bit, you know? Hey, hey, that feels better. No, they had broken legs and broken bodies, organic issues. Not just in the realm of the head, you know, but other issues there. And Jesus healed them all. Leprosy, one after the other after the other. He healed them all. And I say to you, it was a picture, a glimpse of the glory of heaven. Wouldn't that be great? No more aches, no more pains. By his stripes we are healed. You know, ultimately and finally that's true. I mean, initially, spiritually, we're healed, but ultimately and finally, does the atonement provide healing? Yes. Why do you know that? You're not going to be limping around in heaven. <laughs> Isn't that great? Wow. My question to my therapist this summer was, yeah, I said, I got a very serious question. Did I tell you this? He came over. He's a believer. Todd's a believer. My big question as I'm laying here trying to figure out how to use my hip again is... In the glorified body, will my hip be titanium? <laughs> he said, we've never had that question here before. <laughs> no, it won't be. You're going to have the real deal. And he's right. And the Lord has the power and the authority not only to teach, it's his word, not only to cast out evil spirits, and he does, but even a glimpse of heaven, he heals every one of them tenderly. And all of them are healed. And the day ends. And the text tells us that unlike his hometown, where they tried to kill him, they ran him out of town. The people at Capernaum wanted to keep him exclusively, and they couldn't have him. He leaves early in the morning. This is all done in one day. He's up early. He's in prayer. They find him. They press him to stay. And the account closes, I can't stay, though, but he'll come back and visit. It becomes a, a, a base for operation of his ministry. But he says to him, verse 43, uh, I must preach the good news, that's the gospel of the kingdom of God, to other towns also, because this is the reason why I was sent. Wow. Wow. Isn't that amazing? Wow. Well, why did Jesus do all these miracles? He did it not to teach us to expect a miracle. There are people that walk around and say that. Expect a miracle today. It's really the wrong idea, a biblical miracle anyway. That's not it. He did it to confirm his identity as the Christ, the promised one, the Son of God. Well, what can we say by way of lessons for our life? Number one. Jesus still teaches us today through his word. Read it every single day. You may miss a day or two, but make it your habit. Study it. Memorize it. Attend worship where the word of God is taught. Jesus speaks through his word. It's his written word. He's the living word. The spirit of God is the great teacher. It's always my prayer that no one would say, what a preacher or what a sermon, that I would be utterly diminished 
by the bright light of the teaching of God's Word so that we would say, what a Savior, what a gospel, what a God. Fill your heart and soul full of it, and you'll never regret it, ever. I promise you, when you get to the end, you won't say, I wish I didn't spend so much time reading my Bible. No, you'll, you'll devour and say, I wish... I wish I knew it better. I wish I knew it more. I wish, I wish. Give yourself now to it. And somebody said, if you knew you were going to die in 24 hours, what would you change in your life? So why change this and that and that thing? Well, the answer is you don't know you're going to see tomorrow. You may get hit by a bus today. Make the changes right now. Lord, forgive me for not making it the priority. I promise right now, say that in your heart, I give myself the book, the whole book, and nothing but the book. Number two, number two, the Word of God ought to be the center of our lives, having a controlling influence over what we say and do. The center. Howard Heaster died a number of years ago, and I used to love that. Mark, you gave a tribute when Howard, Howard went with us once to Israel. I remember that, he and Barb. And Howard spent his life, uh, he was saved later. He was uh, caught up in a cult, was saved later, became a great teacher of the Word, just immersed himself in the Word, the Word, the Word. Those of us who knew Howard were blessed to know that. And they used to say it, they said that Howard at his, at his funeral, and there was a joy there, really, at Howard's funeral. Uh, it was said that if you went up and gave Howard a big bear hug, he was so filled with the word, Bible verses would come out of him when he exhaled. I, you know, I thought, that's not bad. I, what, what to God, they'd say something like that about me. And they're going to say a lot of stuff, right? They say, I've, they say a lot of stuff at funerals. Sometimes they say, I wonder if he made it. Don't ever do that to your loved ones. Live for Christ, just be a blazing man, heaven open wide. When Paul, Faithy's brother, went to heaven last week or a week and a half ago, what a servant of the Lord. Man, nobody there, I tell you, saying, I wonder if Paul made it. No way. We're going to have to, we're going to have to, uh, we're going to be way in the back, most of us. We're going to have to crowd to get to the front near the throne where he's going to be. That's the way we need to live. How do you do that? The Word of God needs to be the center, the core, and the controlling influence of your life. I'm telling you, that's the truth. If it were something else, I'd tell you that. If it was NFL, and don't we love sports? Don't make that the center of your life. Don't, don't, don't make other things the center. Other things are important, of course, but to a lesser degree. Make the Scriptures, knowing the Scriptures, Walking with Jesus, the core of who you are, unashamedly. Number three. Number three, what else can we say? Sometimes God does his greatest work uh, in us through our illness and illnesses. Never make your health a test of God's love. Don't do that. If God really loved me, he'd heal me. Today, God has given medical arts and science and skills and technology and uh, to men and women, we're, we're grateful for that. And ordinarily, God uh, heals uh, through medicines and through the healing abilities of the body through time and through the guidance of uh, physicians. Todd's a physician. My son-in-law's a physician. Others and our physicians and nurses. and, med- and we, It's a gift of God. It's a, really a gift. Uh, but it's through secondary means. God raises up as we pray, Lord, heal us. We got word last night that my little granddaughter is uh, is sick with a cold, little little Harper. So Faithy and I prayed last night, Lord, help Harper, strengthen her, you know, that she might overcome that. And and so we pray that way and wait upon God to do that. Now that's not to say that God can't heal, and He does heal miraculously. He does. He's able to do that, and I've seen that uh, a, a few times in my life. Rather amazing. I was in the uh, Holy Spirit uh, emergency room, and, and, and a man was taken in. Uh, he had had a heart attack, and 
And they called me in, and when the whole team was working around him, and we thought for certain he was gone. His wife was next to me, and, and the doctors, they were working feverishly. He, his heart was arrhythmia, then stop, and arrhythmia, then stop. And they were, and we just put our hand on him and said a word of prayer in the midst of that utter commotion. If you've never seen it, Kimmy, you've seen that, and some of you have, have certainly seen it. Jo- Joanna, you've seen that too, and others. And God raised him up. He's alive today. He does paintings and other things. It's just like, wow, that's amazing. Amazing. God does heal. But here's the thing. Don't ever make it the test while you're praying, when you're sick. If God loved me, he'd heal me. Ah. God has things to teach you in the school of illness that I believe, believe me, you and I aren't ready to hear in the days of sunshine. We're filled up with all kinds of other things. And it's always amazing, isn't it, physically? It's a great object lesson, you know, when we're sort of flat on our back looking up. Our ears sort of are clearer and our heart is more open to hearing God. And he usually does some great things in our life. So don't ever despise that. Embrace it. Lord, what do you have? Pray for healing, that God would raise you up. Pray that God would grow you in grace through it. I think of someone like Johnny Erickson Tata, and she broke her her neck while swimming as a girl, and God could have raised her up. But look at the choice, solid gold witness and servant of Christ that she has been for, dare I say, millions of people. We wouldn't have even known her name. No, look, God has his purposes. And so don't ever make that. Don't ever get bummed out or don't ever pout. Sometimes we, well, I'll pout. Maybe God get God's attention, you know. It just shows that you got to do remedial second grade again in God's school. Okay? Sometimes his greatest work is through our... Number four, again, never expose yourself to the evil influences Games, media, drugs, the occult, astrology, all that garbage. It's garbage. There's danger. It's dangerous. Flee that. Get that stuff out of your house. Throw it out. Burn it up. You shouldn't have any of that. Some of you have some books you ought to get rid of. I'm not for banning books, but for some books I am. I, I'm, a lo- I'm, a, I'm a lover of books, but some books are trash. You got to get them out. Somebody border on pornography, the occult, and just pure evil. Get it out of your houses, that influence. Find the off button on your media stuff, your video games, all kinds of, that's a whole world, video games. Dungeons and dragons and garbage like that, you're exposing yourself. And, And dads, you're the gatekeeper in your home. You better superintend that. Go through and find out what's under your roof. God's going to hold you accountable. Be careful about that. Number five and last, finally, just a question asking, have you received Christ the Lord as your Savior from sin? Have you done that? Whether young or old, have you said, Lord Jesus, be merciful unto me, a sinner? You need to do that. You're a sinner, I'm a sinner. We're born that way lost. You die that way, it's hell. There's only a heaven and only a hell. There's no purgatory, heaven or hell. And if you're in Christ, if you say, Lord Jesus, I receive you as my Lord and my Savior. Thank you for dying to make the payment for the penalty of my sin before holy God. Based upon the authority of God's word, you shall be saved. If I can ever help any of you in that way, it is my privilege. Believe me, just let me know. Be saved. Well, the authority of Jesus, the authority and power. Some people have authority. Those crazy British cops run around blowing their whistle. When they, <laughs> the bad guys got bad guns, they got the power, they got the authority. Some people have uh, 
have power but no authority. Some have authority and no power. Luke wants us to know Jesus. He has the power and authority, and it's, a, and it's manifest in the speaking of his word.